The following podcast contains strong language and frank discussions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello again, everyone. Good morning, Michael, my best friend. Hello, my best friend, Joanne. How Hello, are you? everybody out there in Murderville Lane. <laughs> Patent pending uh, Netflix. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Well, this week... I mean, try and sue me. I have zero money. Yeah. Get Good in, luck. Get in get, line. Put it on my tab, <laughs> get in Netflix. Line. Get in line. You're going to have to go behind the government. Yeah, Sorry. really. Get in line. This week, we have uh, a lot to get to. Amazing. To the point where we'll probably be talking about my this... My English professors always said that you shouldn't say a lot when you're describing many things because it sounds like a place to park cars. And I was like, "What? whatever, you fucking bitch. Who is this woman? <laughs> Where can I berate her at? <laughs> she was like, don't say a lot. There's something like many or much or some other. Copious. Yeah, like Get... don't, don't say a lot because it sounds like a place to park All cars. Right. There's park so, the car. so many more things to have pet peeves about in the English language that I know, but you know, like, that you know how rate. English, you know how people who have English degrees are? I know how I am myself. I'm. And. Do I have an English degree? <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> but I know even I, if you will, have some pet peeves. I won't. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing as it you back sh- to you. As you should. Every shouldn't. time I say, if you will, you go, I will not. I will not. That's one, like. It's one of the things that you do to me. Yeah, it's a much bigger. Don't give me the option. <laughs> I'm going to say a lot, and it is your fault if you must understand that. Yeah. If you tell me you're going to describe something this way, if you will, cars, well, I won't. Place to park cars. So we have copious topics there. to discuss. This is a very long and involved story. Oh, boy. It is very recent. It is very popular. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something you've heard of before, but I don't know if all of these details will be familiar to you. Okay. And there are many, many, lots of details. <laughs> so this is definitely going to be our first multi-part Oh, it's a two-parter? Series. I don't know how many parts this is going to turn oh, into. Oh, crap. Okay. So just this first part may end up being two parts on its own, and then we sh- may end up having another two All after right. that. We'll so see what happens. We may be here for a month, everybody. <laughs> So I hope you find this Strap story. In. This story is interesting as I do. Uh, we're going to talk about the Sarah Lawrence College sex cult scandal. Oh Jesus Christ! This recently came back into headlines because the trial for the person at the center of this uh, was finalized. The verdict came through. Mm-hmm. If you are unaware of it in the listening audience, uh, I know I'm unaware of any updates. I've I've heard you know tell of the story. Um, but I kind of just fell off after that point. So I don't know like what the, out- I'm hoping I know what the outcome should, well, I know what it should be, but so see how absolutely ballistic I go <laughs> during this story. I'm sure it's going to be pretty bad. So this story is very involved. Okay. There are a lot of details. So what, the format that I'm going to follow here is I'm going to tell you what happened up to the point where the police started their investigation. Okay. So that's going to be my first chunk of this story. Okay. And then I'm going to go back and explain 
the person at the center of this and then what's happened since kind of the end of this. Okay. And this all got kicked off because of an article that was written that is very worth your time. It's very long. It's very detailed. But it is the article, and we'll put a link to it uh, in all of our socials. But this is what kicked off the police to investigate this whole set of circumstances. Okay, makes sense. So that is what I used as the basis of my story here. So I think without further ado, we'll just jump right in. Let's go. This is the story of the sex cult scandal at Sarah Lawrence College. Blech. To really understand this story, you have to understand the leader of the cult, Larry Ray. First of all, cults. Who falls for this shit? Now, this is an interesting one because there isn't any sort of wider outreach. Typically, when you think of a cult, or at least when I think of a cult, you think of Heaven's Gate, you think of Jonestown, where they're trying to bring a flock. They're trying to cultivate Cultivate. people into their... This was more group. this was more of an opportunity that this man Larry Ray found himself in yeah. and manipulated the hell out of it. So he wasn't really about building followers per se. Right. But his techniques and what he did to these people is so classically culty yeah. in that definition that we have to call it a cult. Or yeah. at least I do. Before you can understand Larry Ray, though, we need to understand what he did. And that's the story I'm going to tell you now. Okay. Ray's daughter, Talia, started attending Sarah Lawrence College, which is located just outside of New York City limits in Bronxville, in 2009. She was older than the 18 or 19-year-old freshman, so when she established kind of a friend group, she was basically the de facto leader. Right. She would tell a new friend story after story about her dad. He was a former Marine, government operative working with the CIA, and he knew many, many powerful people. Okay. Okay. It sounds like a little preening to, like, gain some friends at college. Because college can be tricky. It can be uh, tricky to make friends. Yeah, especially if you're older. You're older but still a freshman. Yeah. It's it's a weird position to be in. And this was probably seemed like a shortcut to... Right. A little bit of popularity, yeah. maybe. Or notoriety, I guess. Yeah. So she had this group of people that she kind of established this group with, was telling them all these stories. She also took it upon herself to organize housing for the group for the next year. Industrious. It, it was decided that this group of seven people would live together in the Slonem Woods <laughs> the Nine. Where people stop being polite and start getting yes. real. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was 2009. That was probably passe to them. You know, well, not cool you know. anymore. I'd still watch it. I would. Whatever. They decided that they would live together in the Slonem Woods 9 dorm at the start of their sophomore year. So September 2010 arrives, and everyone is moving into the dorm, and that is when Talia informs the group that her 50-year-old dad, the one they've heard so much about... Yeah, the CIA Marine government operative. Right. Is getting out of jail <laughs> and <laughs> needs a place to live. <laughs> Okay. Um, what? <laughs> first of all, if he's got so many connections and yep. all this, A, why is he in jail? Because if you have connections... Spoiler alert, I'm not going to tell you in this episode. You don't go to jail. Um, and two, 
You are not coming to live at college with me, Dad. I, I no. I'm sorry. You get go. You get a fucking job at the Cumbies, and you get a little shithole apartment, and you work your way back up to whatever your previous glorious yeah. status was. Or you, you probably live in your, a halfway house. Yeah, you don't rely parole. on your kid and go, "Hey, can I crash at your your dorm house with your seven six other roommates?" Yeah. That's not a thing. It was decided without discussion that he would live in the dorm until he got on his feet. Oh, she just told them he was yeah, coming. Correct. <laughs> I would have been like, "Nah, bitch." None of the other roommates seemed to mind. After all, they had been told that this guy had recovered stinger missiles from the black market. Oh, get the fuck out and, of my face! Not that they would have been aware of this, but he even helped draw up a ceasefire during the conflict in Kosovo in the late 90s. They don't even know where Kosovo is. Well, I don't know if Larry did either, but we'll get to that. come on. Like, you're gonna tell me, like, a bunch of kids right out of, fresh out of high school, and they're like, yeah, man, my my friend's dad, like, recovered some missiles from Kosovo, and then just, like, flip their hair. No, that's not a thing, dude. They're they're smoking bongs and eating pizza. I mean... They're not talking about... (laughs) fucking missiles in Kosovo. I'm sorry. I would do all three of those things. I mean, you would. Yeah. A few days after getting out of prison, the roommates didn't seem overly curious about why he was there in the first place. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to why he was in okay. jail. Uh, but that's not going to be this episode. Oh, Michael. You're killing me. The roommates didn't really ask, uh, but Larry was all in at the dorm after just a few days. He set up in the living room and cooked the roommate's steak dinners and ordered expensive delivery. And this was before Uber Eats and all of that ugh, kind of stuff. This, ugh, this guy's making my, the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Uh, we have 22 pages. If my kid was in a dorm. <laughs> yeah. And someone's fucking dad. Yeah. Showed up and started making my daughter steak dinners. Yeah. I don't fucking think so. Oh no, sir. We're having no, no, no. I'll be there with a U-Haul to move your fucking ass out of there, like right quick. And not happening. And it's not like this still wouldn't be acceptable. But it's not like he was a young dad. He was fifty. Even worse. Yeah. Well, no, they're both equally bad. Yeah, they're no, both. Get, they're both no, bad. Fuck off out of here. You are not. You, no, get out of here. And regardless of his age, he had just gotten out of prison. Yeah, get get out of here. <laughs> no. He would go into even more detail about his time in the Marines and the CIA. Yeah, sure. And told of his friendships with important people like Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> and <laughs> who? Don't brag about that. Well, in 2009, that was a little bit more of a brag I mean, it than had it would be today. A little bit of a cachet with it back yeah. then, but even still, look and, at his face. And also Bernie Carrick, who, if you're unfamiliar, was the chief of police for New York City for a time. Great. That doesn't sound that doesn't sound like any backdoor shenanigans at all. There is much history <laughs> between yes amounts of history between Bernie Carrick and Larry Ray, which we will get into again, not in this episode. <laughs> okay. He was brimming. Uh, this is Larry was brimming with macho attitude and would constantly ask the roommates, "Quote, do you work out?" Can you defend yourself? Oh, my God. The the worst type of guy. The type of guy that I would never not date in a million years. He would occasionally toss in that he thought one of them or another looked, quote, really weak. 
just you know random fuck breaking you, down dude. of people's psyches and, you know and self-esteem what? fuck you dude like all manipulation dad i wonder oh. what his relationship with his fucking daughter is like we'll get into that and if, if you say in episode two not in this episode oh. <laughs> michael you're such a tease i know i do what i can mm. but there's just so much of what happened that we need to get through all of it before we can unpack why oh, it happened. Oh, I understand. Like all manipulators, Larry could turn on the charm when he had to. He knew that college kids are at the perfect point in their lives to give real thought to the bigger questions of life, like justice and the meaning of life. Right. And he would lead and strongly encourage those discussions. <laughs> Juliana, one of the roommates, said, quote, He did all of our cleaning and definitely took on the dad role in the house in a big way. He showed Carl Sagan's cosmos in the common room and followed oh it up with... Oh, my God! <laughs> if you think that's bad... This guy is insufferable If you think that's bad... Ready. He followed up the screenings with impromptu don't, lectures... Don't you dare. ...on the nature of the universe. Oh, my God. At night, he'd sleep on an air mattress in Talia's room or the couch in the common room. How about get your own place? GTFO. Yeah, you'd... Bro. You'd think. As is... Typical of college-age students, the group of people wasn't without their share of internal struggles. Along with Juliana, there was Daniel, who had begun exploring his sexuality. Claudia and Santos had both struggled with depression. And another roommate, Isabella, went through a bad breakup right after Larry moved in. So they were all kind of at these these inflection Well, yeah, it's, it's called being a teenager. Yeah, and yeah. being on your own for a while. Yeah. And you don't expect a 50-year-old man to come in and start jamming up the works here. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see how a lot of the kids being on their own, which is very exciting and liberating, but at the same time, and you're very right scary. outside New York City. Yeah, it's very scary, yeah. and you can sort of get that like parental, yeah, care, yeah, and like love and advice, but without having it to be your parents, right? Which is actually you probably listen to someone else's parents more oh, than your own, hundred percent. So I can already see like how he's manipulating and putting this into action and it's, oh yeah it's, it's turning my stomach yeah. to be honest when i was in high school or college somebody could say something to me word for word mm -hmm. that my mom said i'd listen to them you'd be like you know what man you have a point yeah that's i never thought about it that but way but you'd be like mom get off my back yeah you know yeah exactly 100 yeah, percent. in my typical like god god mom Ugh. they were a receptive audience for the kind of person larry was portraying himself to be Quote, I don't think anyone really questioned it because it was such a huge part of Talia's life, said Daniel, one of the roommates. Mm -hmm. More from Daniel. We were talking about getting a big bag of sand and dumping it out on the kitchen floor to make a tiny beach. It's not like we were trying to have a normal household. It's called being in college. Yeah. That's called crazy dorm shenanigans. Right. That's normal. Not out of place. They, have you ever it, seen an college. 80s college movie? You're not yeah. the first people to come up with these ideas. Right. Not outrageous no a little stranger when there's a 50 year old man encouraging it yeah he's probably like hey man just go with whatever you feel guys <clears throat> Ugh. we're all just molecules riding the go wave put your ben gay on and get the fuck out of my dorm room please it wasn't long before larry started to beta test some of his weirder concepts <laughs> He started to drop hints to the roommates that maybe they were all cosmically brought together because of a shared obsession with taking their own lives. Who, who said they wanted to take their life? Maybe one. Okay. Santos did have a previous suicide attempt in high school. None of the others did. 
despite so some of the others having depression. So he's creating a group think Correct. is what he's doing. Yeah. And I'm not okay with, oh, man. This is how it started. This, that's the first one. Skiff and fotch this fucking gum and smack him right in his face. You know, it was lucky, though, because Larry, of course, could help these wayward youths. Oh, I, of course, with his military background, I'm sure that he took courses on how to deal with suicidal teens, Mike. It's funny you say it that way. Oh, he could teach them discipline and control techniques that he had been taught as part of his military and government operative training. Yeah, because the military and the government ops really know how to control their tempers. <laughs> right. He even took on the role of counselor and or therapist, depending on who you talk to. Which they have provided at the college. Yeah. And Sarah Lawrence, I don't believe, is a cheap institution. Sure isn't. So I'm sure that they have counselors there. And... Not for nothing, it is a liberal arts college, so they are more in touch with... You know, oh, they're going to be very touchy-feely yeah. counselors, yeah. not in like a creepy, pedophile way. So he started with his daughter's best friend, Isabella. She was kind of his first protege as he was her counselor. This is a direct quote from Isabella. I'm 19. I was having a lot of difficulty making sense of things. I wasn't in a good place. He started to help me kind of process and make sense of a lot of things I just couldn't make sense of. If he sleeps with this girl, I'm going to fucking lose it. Talia's boyfriend at the time remembers seeing Larry and Isabella laying on Talia's bed. Oh. Larry was stroking Isabella's hair, soothing her. The ex-boyfriend recalls, quote, He's like, nobody's going to hurt my baby girl. Ew! Ew! <laughs> no fucking thank you. Remember, he's... 51 at this point because it is the following year she's 19 no no larry took the opportunity to start sleeping in isabella's room an arrangement that made talia's boyfriend uncomfortable well yeah yeah well, the only one you, with talia's some sense. boyfriend the yeah. only one with some goddamn sense around here he remembers larry telling him quote you're acting like i'm going to be sleeping with her but i'm going to be sleeping on the floor she needs someone to help her classic she, there's bullshit. a there's an entire dorm full of people her yeah. own age that would, I'm sure, be very glad to support her. Yeah. Like his daughter, How her best friend. Like Talia. Yeah. It was only December, which was after only about three months of even knowing him. Right. Where Isabella made a breakthrough oh, with Larry. God, no. The night before she was supposed to leave to go back home for winter break, her family gets a call from Larry, not her. No. Remembering the call, Isabella's aunt says that Larry told Isabella's mother that she had been sexually abused as a child by someone the family knew, and that if she returned home, she might kill herself. This was the first that Isabella's mother had heard of the possible abuse, and was doubly surprised because of how close she and Isabella had been previously. They had a really good mother-daughter relationship, and for her to keep something that important from her shocked as it Isabella's would. This is bullshit. Mother. Larry added insult to injury by telling her mother, quote, you let this happen to you her. You don't get in between a mother and her daughter. I'm going to fucking lose it right now. Because all I can picture is putting myself in this, like I'm the mom getting this phone call from some fucking jabron mm. that I've never heard of in my life who's probably older than me or my own age yeah. telling me something yeah. about my daughter who is the closest person to me yeah. in the world. And then blaming uh, you for get it. Get the fuck out. I would drive to that college and smash his head open on the concrete. I'm 
livid. I don't know if you can tell. Yeah. Anybody who thinks that's hyperbole, you do oh no, not she would definitely do that. Get between yeah. my child and myself. It was that winter break where the apartment on East 93rd Street first makes an appearance. It's an important piece of this story. The apartment was owned by a man named Lee Chen, one of Larry's friends. Larry, Talia, Talia's boyfriend at the time, and Isabella all spent oh, like a double date. those winter weeks in the one-bedroom condo. Well, more specifically, Talia and her boyfriend slept in the living room. Larry and Isabella were in the bedroom. For... <laughs> okay. Quote... Again, this is from the boyfriend mm-hmm. or the ex-boyfriend. The of only Talia, one that has any sense whatsoever. Which is how we know a lot of this information because he was one of the original main sources for the original article that I mentioned. Okay. So there's a lot of information from him specifically. He controlled every aspect of our lives once we were in the apartment. When we ate, what we did, when we went to bed. Why? Why would you allow? Why would you allow that? You're a grown man. Yeah. Why would you let another grown man? tell you something i would have puffed i would have puffed up my chest and said try it buddy larry told this boyfriend to stop taking his prescribed antipsychotic meds <gasps> he was so concerned by what he was seeing and hearing that he broke up with talia as soon as winter break ended good you know what and good for you got the good, fuck out of there good for yeah. you honey yeah good for you smart when someone starts saying stop taking your meds uh, that's like in this is yeah. incredible that that this guy was able to pull but this is so off. i mean this is as as i'm stepping through the story you can see how meticulously he's like inching the line I don't of know wacky if I'm shit just closer like a bitch or what but if somebody if anyone even now yeah tries to tell me something or you need to do this or you can't do that or i'm a, you fucking wish dude it's I don't understand like how people are just so pliable and compliant. Like maybe I'm just a, a just we've a talked, bitchy. Yeah, you I'm and I have bitchy. talked about this before, and I think we're both less at least we like to think we are, less prone to that kind of potential manipulation like, because could I of be our drawn into a cult? I don't think so. We just have an intrinsic not only distrust, but borderline hatred like for other people suspicion of other people at all costs like get out of here then add to the fact that i'm italian then yeah. add to the fact that i'm a woman then add to the fact that i live in the in new england in yeah. the northeast of america and you're in and, gen x <laughs> and we are and i'm gen x yeah and you've met the most suspicious person not <laughs> i'm not suspicious but yeah. i'm suspicious of other people yeah. that you'll ever bump into yeah like get out of here yeah there's no just thanks i don't get close to people. I don't want to talk to people. So for somebody to try to pull this kind of manipulation by words yeah. on me, it just seems unlikely because I wouldn't let them talk to me for well, very long. Well, you'd be in your room by yourself. Correct. <laughs> Not dealing with the bullshit. Right. So even if I was in this situation where some weirdos, some weird dad was in my dorm, I'd never leave my room and I yeah. wouldn't get drawn into it. What if it. the weird dad was actually your dad, though? Well, then we, got... <laughs> then we have a problem. Yeah, it's a whole different story. <laughs> Somehow, Larry was allowed to move back into Slonum 9 for the spring semester when all of the other roommates came back and spent more and more of his time in Isabella's room. Yeah, I bet he did. One night, Larry called a house meeting, as he often did when he wanted to grandstand, and started to lecture about something called Q4P. Uh, 
a philosophy based on the supposition that all energy in the universe is powered by the, quote, quest for potential. <laughs> oh, so... Q4P. So all of us trying to better ourselves are powering the universe? Basically. Basically. Q4P was the brainchild of Larry's friend David Birnbaum, a diamond district dealer who moonlights as a philosopher. Who are these people? I I mean, can't. I can't explain them. Q4P is what drew in another of the roommates, Claudia, closer into Larry's orbit. She started weekly counseling with Larry and told him all about growing up on the outskirts of L.A., her love of poetry, photography, and other creative outlets. She she was together. She yeah. had kind of a goal in life. She had passion. She was artistic. And she sounds very earthy, and so this Q4P bullshit seems yeah. like it would be right up her street. Right. At first, Claudia found Larry unnerving. She was especially skeptical of the, of the relationship she was seeing between Larry and Talia. But her private sessions seemed to be changing her. Juliana described Claudia as funny and self-aware before her time with Larry, but after she became almost, quote, artificially chipper and focused on things she didn't care about before. Claudia suddenly started telling people that she thought she was schizophrenic based on nothing but what Larry was saying, telling her that he thought she was. He's not a medical doctor. She also started posting about the Marines and stuff on, oh, on Facebook and st- like, mm. yeah. So, like, he was clearly changing her. Yeah. Roommate Daniel was also skeptical of Larry and found his philosophical musings incoherent. Well, all these people are skeptical, skeptical, but no one is doing anything about it or, or talking about it amongst themselves. Well, not strictly true. But they definitely weren't investigating as closely as they should have. They weren't as... Uh, critical of this as they should have been but daniel said claudia definitely had some complex issues she had real stuff going on it was all stuff that a therapist would really be the right person to turn to but larry claimed to have some superhuman level of empathy or ability to talk to young people and help them work through their issues (laughs) what a fucking crock of shit it was a few months into that spring semester though that daniel himself started to experience some personal difficulties he was dating someone but he and his girlfriend were having real challenges and the relationship could best be described as crumbling. He was also going to be without a place to live that summer. He didn't want to return home. He wanted to stay in the city, but there was nowhere for him to yeah. to go. Roommates Santos and Claudia urged him to speak with Larry. The two met in Starbucks one afternoon and talked for hours. Larry gave him advice that felt shockingly straightforward. Dump your girlfriend. That was the advice. Daniel had been wrestling with his own sexuality for quite some time, but on that topic, Larry was positive. Oh, no, you're not gay. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> oh, okay, sir. Based on what? Don't rightly know. Well, he's obviously a licensed therapist. He's obviously... I mean, this guy licensed is by like the a CIA. guru. Like, yeah. I mean, he's fucking Gandhi over here. Daniel said, I was directionless, and suddenly this, quote, real man came into my life. It was this incredible feeling of such intense validation, of being seen and heard finally. Please don't tell me this very sensitive, most likely gay young man is going to start acting like some over-the-top jarhead. Well, Daniel was exactly the kind of person every gaslighting shitbag is looking for. Great. After they talked, Larry walked Daniel outside and into a limousine idling up the block. 
where his roommates were waiting. <laughs> they went to the apartment on East 93rd Street. When they arrived, Larry suggested Daniel live there for the summer with him and some of the other roommates. Daniel said yes. So this is where I grandstand against landlords and rent and all of that uh, because this is another quote from Daniel. I didn't want to go back home and this was my alternative. Part of why I got into a cult at all was because I had no idea how one finds a place to live in New York. Oh, so, God. Oh, sorry, New Yorkers. I didn't yeah. know it was, so, it was either live on the street or live in a cult. Yeah. I didn't I didn't realize it was that dire over so there. So call your senators and demand housing equity. It will save people from cults. Oh, Jesus. Every morning that summer started the same way. Why? Why? No, you're chuckling and I don't like it. You're chuckling because you know what the sentence is that you're about to say, and I don't like it. And I want to do video podcasts because I want people to have to see you needling me in this way that you do every single time. And then everybody's just like, Mike is just like so nice. And I'm like, yeah, is he though? Because you can't see his little face. Why are you chuckling? Larry woke everyone up by blasting the Who's Baba O'Reilly. The message wasn't exactly subtle. He planned to personally guide the roommates that made the move to 93rd Street, which included Daniel, Talia, Claudia, Isabella, and Santos, five people plus Larry in a one-bedroom apartment through the teenage wasteland. Get, please go away, Lawrence. That song, to hear that song every day. Don't even try me. I don't want to hear it once. Larry kept the same vibe going in the apartment that he had in the dorm group meals intense discussions all the typical college stuff that seems so important at the time right we're really talking about stuff we're gonna change the world yeah man. man totally he wasn't paying rent to his friend who owned the apartment but larry seemed to have several different incomes <laughs> apparently he was a life consultant for a wealthy friend and was building a domain name business that's not those are not things that's not okay he had even asked the roommates for help with that one, with the domain name thing. Right. Let me give them little tasks so yeah. they feel like that they're Included. pleasing me. Yeah. Yeah. He would be extremely generous, sometimes buying expensive clothes or shoes or meals at fancy ref- restaurants for everybody. He would always pay with a wad of cash he kept in a backpack that he always carried with him. Oh, so magnanimous. He had a limo driver on call to take them home no matter the hour. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Oh, I know what you're going to say. You'll yeah. find out in episode two. Yeah. yeah. It was during the summer nights when the group would stay in that the cult tactics started to come out. Yeah, summer loving. Really like, aggressively. So fast, Mike. So fast. Everyone gathered, gathered in the living room for discussion sessions that would end up turning into interrogations that would single out one person where there would be questions about anything and everything sounds a bit like Scientology classic cult make them feel inadequate mm. and also get blackmail material exactly on them. right the singled out person was most likely going to be someone who did something to slight Larry or at least did something that Larry considered to be a slight I was gonna say trivial mistakes like breaking a plate were considered manifestations of childhood trauma that were done intentionally to force attention towards towards yourself. the trauma yeah. Larry told them that the purpose of this discussion sessions was to reveal deep personal truths. How about mind your business, bro? The meetings would often end in breakthroughs 
that followed a disturbing dream logic. (laughs) On one occasion, Larry convinced Daniel that the reason he played the ukulele was because of trauma inflicted on him by his father. (laughs) How you get there, I don't... What's a ukulele have to do with his dad? Did his dad beat him with a ukulele? Or a guitar, and he really wanted to, like, take the power away, so he, he played beat a him with small the guitar. Strings? Like, what, what's well, what's the connection to the ukulele, Larry? Larry told Daniel to smash the ukulele in front of the group as an act of catharsis. Oh my gosh. When he did, the group applauded Daniel for achieving closure. This sounds like when I was in the fifth grade, my teacher, Mrs. Cullen, uh, was hyper-religious. I mean, I did go to Catholic school, uh, but she was like hyper-religious and I remember at the time, my my parents were like going through some like arguments. So they were separated, but like I don't know, it was probably some some stupid bullshit like between like custody and visitation and stuff like that. So I had like we would have these groups where we would like talk about mm. you know something that was bothering you, and so I I said that you know yeah, and uh, it was weird because they made you want to have something wrong so that you could feel included. Yep. So I was almost like happy. Uh, to like proud almost to like be like to have something traumatic to like talk about which is sick if you think about it well funny you say that and well wait because then after i spilled my guts she then instructed all the kids to like lay hands and like they said like a prayer over me and it was the weirdest creepiest thing i'm cringing thinking about it it was like the weirdest thing and then when i went home and told like my family they were like outraged (laughs) They were outraged. Daniel felt immense pressure to find explanations for his actions. (laughs) Once, after spending hours in the hot seat with no end in sight, Daniel told the story that finally got Larry's attention. Quote from Daniel. I said when I was a kid, I found a baby bird in my driveway and it was injured. And I held it in my hand and crushed it. I claimed this was a traumatic thing that formed me. The story was entirely made up, but it ended the session. Oh, okay. So, so, yeah, I was going to say, I don't. I feel like he wouldn't do that. No, he didn't. But he wanted it to be over, yeah, so he just... Yeah, just lie about it. Right. As a quick aside, it's worth mentioning at this point that Larry hardly ever slept. But these How late nights... staying awake, Michael? I'll tell you, very shortly. <laughs> you don't have to wait for the next episode for okay. that. But these late night discussion sessions kept the roommate sleep deprived. More cult tactics. Right. Larry, it turns out, was a big proponent of prescription amphetamines and took them at such a high dose that he rarely needed to sleep. <laughs> this fucking trash bag. He often preached to the roommates about how much good such a regimen could do for them. But at the same time, he kept pushing the college kids to live healthier lives. Okay, Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. Claudia especially was keen on eating and exercising according to Larry's wishes. According to her mother, she became fixated on losing weight and increasingly unhappy with how she looked. From the first time they'd heard about Larry, Claudia's parents were suspicious of him. Yay for common sense, I I guess. hello. When they realized he was living in Slonim 9, they met with Alan Green, who was Sarah Lawrence's dean of student life. Let me guess. He said, because they got their own off-campus apartment, there's nothing we can do about it. Well, Slonim 9... Thanks for your check. See you later. Slonim 9 was on campus. Okay. But didn't... I thought you said they went to, like, his... 93rd Street. 93rd Street was supplemental housing for breaks or summer and they came back shit green told them he'd received other complaints about larry but his hands were tied why a father had the right to visit his daughter on campus uh he doesn't have the right to live there he's living there he's not visiting correct he's living there 
a second meeting that Claudia's parents had with the dean ended similarly, being told, sorry, nothing we can do. No, fuck you, no, fuck you. If you can't tell the difference between visiting and living, you shouldn't be teaching Uh, my daughter. Check the camera. Yeah. Where is this guy going every single night? You can't, that's, get out of here, man. All right, back to it. Small mistakes weren't just small mistakes, and they certainly certainly weren't only symbols of childhood trauma. They were glaringly obvious evidence that the roommates were trying to sabotage Larry's program of self-improvement. Subversive behavior was explored in excruciating detail and required written and signed confessions. Hello, Scientology. Give me a break. Santos wrote a confession that he, quote, threw out around five checkbooks and ripped out pages from at least two and detailed plans to, quote, interfere with Larry's business and not let him work by making sure uh, his time was taken up and wasted. It's already taken up and wasted. Daniel remembers delivering handwritten letters to Larry, listing items he had damaged as part of an intentional effort to harm Larry's family. These self-reported invoices would become very important tools of manipulation before too long. Things became even more difficult for Daniel when Larry took a deeper interest in his sex life. Don't even. Don't even. Don't even tell me he's going to start sleeping with this poor kid. One night, Isabella came out of the bedroom and began kissing Daniel on the couch. Uh, Let me guess at Larry's fucking direction. At first, he thought Isabella was acting on a crush, but a few weeks later, Larry ushered the two of them into the bedroom, instructing Daniel and Isabella to have sex while he watched. Gross. The sessions became regular, and Larry would sometimes participate. Get away from these children. He made it seem as if his presence were part of Daniel and Isabella's journeys to clarity. I'm guiding you. Get so you learn. Fucked. Once, Larry even invited his friend and landlord to join him. No, 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 no. Yeah, Lee Chen got uh, joined the party. In fucking Burn Bomb or whatever the whoever. The... <sighs> yeah, Q4P. Daniel says, "I got so freaked out. There was no consent in that situation." But I just kept doing it. There was no consent in that situation. Isabella may have seemed to be pursuing all of this, but her mind was being twisted by Larry. And yours also, my my dear child. Still, Daniel didn't leave the apartment. Quote, It was kind of a combination of feeling like, this is unusual, and I feel kind of weird, but my immediate next thought was, everyone else seems to think this is really good. Maybe there's something wrong with me, and I need to lean into this. More classic cult oh, shit. Thank goodness. At the end of that summer... Claudia and Daniel left to study abroad in England. Separately. Before leaving... Yeah, fucking bye. I'd be like, see see you never, bye. Well, before leaving, Claudia sent a long email to the Dean of Student Life, the one that Isabella's family had talked to. Right, the one who does nothing. Yeah, with the subject line, The Truth. She wrote that when Larry first moved into Slotum 9, she had, quote, fears and concerns about Larry Ray being a bad, dangerous, manipulative, and sexually deviant man. After spending the summer with Larry, Claudia took it all back and claimed that Larry's ex-wife had tricked her into making her initial statements. A woman she's never met. Okay. Is she actually the one sending this email, or is somebody sending this on her behalf? Nope, she sent both. Cool. She sent the original of what she really thought at the time, and she sent the retraction 
having been manipulated into thinking that somebody else had manipulated her into sending it the how first time. How would you? How would you imagine? I don't know how you twist someone's brain up like that. To think that they really talked to someone that yeah. they've never even met. It gets weirder than that in terms of who's controlling people. The distance between England and New York wasn't enough to keep Larry from controlling Daniel and Claudia, however. What? On one occasion, Daniel and Claudia met up in England. Like, they weren't studying together. Yeah. They were on separate study abroad programs but they met up in england so larry could skype in for a family meeting and proceed to coach them through sex on skype come on <laughs> come on at that point the hooks this were is in outrageous i told you at that point the hooks were in and in deep when the time abroad was over larry welcomed them back for the summer once school started again, Daniel continued to live in the apartment, commuting to campus for class. So now they're in the 93rd Street apartment. Claudia got on-campus housing, so she didn't live with them anymore, but still visited, visited the apartment and stayed close with Larry. This was also around the time when Larry started to do some, we'll call them renovations, but not really, on the 93rd Street apartment, which included removing the door handles from both bathrooms, uh, installing cameras. Bye-bye privacy. Uh, still, no one really questioned anything. This was also around... How the... are you... You're taking a shit yeah. with I'm... just the door open. Yep. No one cares. Everybody's just, hey, we're like this big commune. It's totally fine, guys. Don't worry about it. Come in, brush your teeth. Why don't you jump in the shower? You know, this one, you can come in and get dressed, put your makeup on. Don't worry about what I'm doing over here. Like, what the... There's something to be said for closeness, but it needs to be a choice. If you take the I mean, I've been away. in relationships where literally one person will be on the toilet and the other person's like just walking in and being like, hey, what do you want for dinner? Which and is then, fine. And if then that's... I've been in other relationships where it's like, please don't no. come in when yeah. I'm using the bathroom. It's just right. like different people. But, right. But this is like. But in both of those situations, you had the choice. Right. This is just like, <laughs> hi, we're just going to take these doors off. If I'm friends with Daniel and I go over there and I need to use the bathroom because right. I'm visiting my friend, what's my recourse? Yeah, really. I didn't volunteer for this. Right. Whatever. Still, no one really questioned well, anything. Well, they probably didn't have outside friends coming well, in at that point, I right. would think. This was also around the time that Daniel's parents really started to worry, and it was ramping up to frantic levels. I pull my kid out of that school so fucking fast. Daniel's dad emailed him a message that said, in part, I can't reach you. What changed? I don't understand. This only seems to happen when you are at Larry's, but I can't figure it out. Are you in a trance? Drugs? Cult? Like, cult. Unlike a lot of these kinds of stories, the parents were on it. And the kids weren't fully in it. They weren't isolated. They were in communication. But somehow it all just kept not, snowballing. Not, not in this household, bro. The first time I wouldn't be able to get a hold of my daughter, one time, and I would be at the yeah, school. Yeah. You're, you're leveling the entire campus. Like, That's it. It's, yeah. One time. Claudia's mother had similar fears. She said, quote, We talked to Claudia many, many times and had many, many arguments about how we thought Larry was not good for her, but there was no convincing her. Still, we didn't get how serious it was until it was too late. One night, Claudia showed up at her parents' apartment with Larry and began asking about her mother's first child, a girl who had died at birth. Larry said it must have been difficult for her to love Claudia, having just gotten over the loss. Is this a made-up story? 
Did the mother actually... The mother really lost a child before giving birth to Claudia. Okay. So she really has a dead daughter. And this guy's using this against the parents. To wedge them, to say, you couldn't possibly have loved Claudia because you are you were and are still mourning, mourning the loss the of this other, of first other girl. Yeah. <laughs> this fucking... Okay. The mom's response was, I looked I'll, at I'll, him. I'll slash your throat. I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? When Claudia was born, it was the joy of my life. Claudia was everything to me. I had a daughter and I was so happy. And he dug in until I was just exploding crying. He was trying to break us down. She was on his team and her father and I were on another team. I would have punched him in the mouth. Claudia said. Numerous times. Claudia said. About the face, head, and neck, Michael. I don't believe you, Mom. I don't believe you could have loved me because of her. And then Claudia left with Larry. And then I strangle him to his death. And that's when her that's <laughs> yeah. when Claudia's mom said, and that's when we knew he had total control over her. Larry's violence well, started. There's one to... way to break that spell, Mike. Oh yeah. <laughs> Larry's violence started to escalate over time. Lee Chen, the owner of the 93rd Street apartment, recounted times when Larry would put Santos into a sleeper chokehold until he passed out. When Santos would recover, Larry would ask. Did the darkness envelop you? What? Another time... What a sicko. Yeah. Another time, Daniel supposedly damaged the oven. As a result, Larry ordered him to kneel down and then stood over him with a large kitchen knife and threatened to dismember him. No. Because he broke the oven. Like a knob on the oven or something. Like it had a chip in it. Also, supposedly damaged the oven. Yeah, it's probably perfectly... It was probably perfectly fine. Yeah. Or it could have been normal wear and tear. It could have been an issue before that Larry just noticed yeah. and blamed Daniel. Like, he didn't see him break it, this but threatened so to cut him into pieces. Even worse was an incident that happened during Daniel's senior year. Talia had missed an application deadline for Stanford Law, and of course she wasn't to blame. Larry assumed it was intentional sabotage by Daniel. When Daniel Why is he focusing on this kid? This kid's going to end up killing himself or something like come on when daniel denied it larry of course didn't believe him and proceeded to crush pieces of aluminum foil into little balls and rolled them up inside a string of saran wrap fashioning what daniel called a necklace of metal lumps larry and anyone else would call it a garrote in front of the group, no. Larry ordered Daniel to wrap the contraption around his testicles and penis. Then Larry began twisting it. No. The what? metal cut off circulation <gasps> to Daniel's genitals and dug into his flesh. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Oh my god. Oh my god, I'm cringing. This wasn't the last straw for Daniel. What is this? What is happening? But it would come soon enough. He was still unsure of his own... Everybody just watched this happen? Yeah. And let it. That's mutilation. This is insane! Yeah. Daniel was still unsure of his own sexuality and kept discussing it with Larry. No, get away from this dude! One night, Larry got so fed up with the topic that he demanded Isabella get one of her dresses and forced Daniel to put it on and go get the mail from down in the building's lobby. What cross-dressing has to do with being gay, gay I, I mean, have it has no nothing idea. to do with it. 
but that's that's oh, nice that's the level that's, that that's great that's great yeah that's the level that this superhumanly empathetic yeah right therapist is working yeah. on that if you put on a dress yeah. and you're a man that means you're gay like first of give all give me a this, fucking break oh my god uh, be vigilant people like i mean yeah come on keep your wits about you daniel did it he put the dress on got the mail when he got back just say no and then what just say no no not it, gonna do it it escalates when he got back Larry had a dildo waiting and commanded Daniel to penetrate himself. He did as the other roommates watched and laughed. Come on! Who's watching this? All of the roommates. Fuck off! That was finally it for Daniel, and in 2013, after three years, he got on-campus housing and and stopped responding to calls and emails from anyone associated with the group. Well, I thought he couldn't find housing, and now all of a sudden he just finds housing. Well, on campus. He moved into the 93rd Street apartment for a summer because he couldn't live on campus anymore and he didn't want to travel home. Dude, I would have dipped the first semester. I would have tried to get my own on-campus something or other. Or I would have crashed in somebody else's dorm. Yeah. Hey, buddy, can I stay with you? Because there's a bunch of wacky cuckoo bananas stuff going on in my dorm room that I want 0.0 part of. But I'm sure he was worried if Larry saw him move in with a man he'd been like what are you doing you're not gay good good it's college now's the time good this this, Larry's such a trash bag but uh, it was a bit before Daniel was finally ready to leave the group it was actually while he was studying abroad that two more regulars came into Larry's life. Turns out Santos had older sisters, Yalitza and Felicia. Yalitza was an undergrad at Columbia, and Felicia had graduated from Harvard oh and my God, earned a medical is... degree from Columbia. Holy crap, the three of them. Success. Felicia was actually in Los Angeles doing her residency when Larry started calling her over and over. And it didn't take long until from across the country he had convinced her that people were after her. I don't know how he did it. Felicia says, I was concerned because of my parents, because this whole thing involved Bernie Carrick and the police. Going to the police in California, in LA, which is incredibly corrupt, it was like, is this really going to be effective? Now, he's basically saying her parents are in danger, she's in danger, but you have no one to turn to. The LAPD is corrupt. I know Bernie Carrick, and there's nothing we can do up here. Right. What are you going to do? Felicia abandoned her residency program and moved in with Larry. No. No. He's ruining lives. (laughs) He's crushing these children's lives. They quickly began a romantic relationship, often talking about marriage. Of course they did. Often talking about marriage and having children together. Oh, God, no. Larry has referred to both Felicia and Isabella as his wife. This should <laughs> Okay, fucking Mormons now. Now we're doing the Mormons. This shouldn't be shocking behavior as far as Larry goes. Even back into the 90s, multiple people have reported that Larry would offer friends and business associates sex with women he was dating. Even the long-term girlfriend he maintained while he was married to Talia's mother. Cool, Hugh Hefner. Yeah, so he's married to Talia's mother has a long-term girlfriend and is offering that girlfriend up to just... So he's trafficking women. Cool. Yeah. 
he would threaten the girlfriends that if they didn't do what he demanded, he would send graphic pictures to their parents. And in at least one case, he actually did. Good. It's nothing my mother's never seen before, buddy. She birthed me. Yeah. Go for it. Go for yeah. it. That's what I would say. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> to be so sunny. He's on the dance floor and he's like, go for it. Go for it. With that toupee. Go for it. Go for it. Fantastic reference. <laughs> in another case... He bought a GPS tracker and tried to get someone else to attach it to the woman's car. Why he wouldn't just do it himself. No, I'm not going to do that. No, sorry, weirdie. He was also a prolific extortionist. Daniel said, quote, his most classic tactic was to claim that people had either stolen things from him or ruined things of value and therefore owed him money. Santos once sent an email to Larry with the subject line, Prices of things I damaged slash ruined with preliminary total. The email was five pages. Are you kidding me? Accounting of more than 50 items, ranging from painting tape, $9.87, to a gas range, $6,780. No. The total, he calculated, was $47,726.79. And he's, he's like making this kid think he owes him that money. Yeah. Because Santos drafted the email this isn't something that larry like billed him for yeah this is santos doing a personal inventory and saying this is what i owe you yeah no santos tried to get the money from his parents even going so far as to threaten to kill himself if they didn't help remember he is the one that had a previous attempt in high school yeah santos's father tried to go into the apartment to see the supposed damage for himself Mm -hmm. he's not shelling out almost 50k without doing his due diligence but when he got there... Let me guess. What? <laughs> oh, Lawrence. Put the kibosh on that one. Larry ran his ass down to the lobby and prevented him from going any further. And wh- and, and the dad just went, okay, I'll leave. In the end... Not a chance. Santos's parents were incredibly fearful for their son's safety and gave him as much money as they could. Santos, Yelitsa, and Felice's parents immigrated from the Dominican Republic in the early 80s and ran a few small businesses. They weren't rolling in money, but they had enough that they could keep trying to help their son. Towards the end of senior year, Larry brought Claudia, Isabella, Yalitza, and Felicia to his stepfather's house in Pinehurst, North Carolina. We're going to get into the relationship he has with his stepfather, who the stepfather's last name is Ray, and he adopted his stepfather's last name. Um, there's a whole there's yeah, a whole I, thing well, there. I can just imagine what the whole of it is. Yeah. So Larry comes down with four college kids. Well, Yulitz is a little bit older. Um, but he takes them from New York to North Carolina. He put them to work installing a new drainage system in the yard. <laughs> when they returned, Claudia, Yulitza, and Isabella began asking their friends and family for money, saying they damaged Larry's property. Are you joking my ass? He made them do damage and then charged them for the damage. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's ridiculous. Santos's parents estimate that they gave Larry more than $200,000 over three years. There's a point in the story where I pretend to befriend Larry. Yeah. And ask him if he wants to go for a scenic drive, <laughs> and we go somewhere upstate, the Pine Barrens, to a pig farm, yeah, and just 
wander around and if he falls in to the pig pen whoops oh no larry you must have slipped and fallen into the pig pen oh no oh these pigs haven't eaten in about three weeks (laughs) this is also another reason why we wouldn't necessarily be prime cult targets we have no money (laughs) zero money come at me like like we probably wouldn't let it happen just from our natural like I hate everybody yeah. kind of mentality, but also I'm not doing like, this kumbaya yeah. shit with you. I'm also unable to write a check for ten thousand dollars <laughs> to get to like the the book that's going to bring me to the next level. Yeah, of the I would give you five dollars. Like, yeah. get out of here. Whatever. No. The, Santos's parents were forced to sell their house to cover the costs. Holy crap! Like the one that they bought in the yeah. Bronx after oh, moving no. from the Dominican Republic. Like, Come on. Yeah. They raised their family. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's that's it's terrific. fucked up. They went to the NYPD three times with their story, but police told them there wasn't much they could be done if their child was over 18. (laughs) Oh, how many times have we heard that old chestnut, Michael? Claudia's parents also alerted the police, who were told the same thing. So you have multiple sets of parents. Separate families who don't know each other. Telling you the same thing about about the same person. And you're like, well, there's really nothing we can do. Is it the relationship with Bernie Carrick? coming to bear does he have an actual relationship with bernie carrick or did he see his name on the news one day and then just decided to tell everyone that they're best friends well whether it's real or not it's irrelevant because at this time bernie carrick's no longer chief of police anyway so he's got no pull anyway so who gives a shit right well not to say that he doesn't still right. have some pull. He definitely we know how does. That works. Yeah, he definitely does, but yeah. he's not directly yeah. in charge. In 2017, the police conducted a wellness check on Claudia and determined that she was acting of her own free will. Oh, great. Just like they did with like R. Kelly's victims. They're yep. like, no, they're fine. They said, I'm here. So that's good enough for us. Yeah. They know where they are. They were so... like, are you in the home? Are you alive? Okay, goodbye. From her parents' perspective, that's not nothing enough. could be further from the truth. Exactly. It was 2013 when Yulitsa attempted suicide by swallowing a bottle of Tylenol. Oh, no! Which landed her in a coma. After alerting her parents, she was transferred to a hospital in White Plains, nearer to them, and they visited her every day. One day, however, security stopped them from entering their own daughter's room. What? They also couldn't meet with their own daughter's doctor unless Larry was there with them. What? Later, while testifying in court, Yalitza said, quote, He was able to examine me when I was in a coma, look at lab results, and make suggestions to my medical team. He saved my life. What? Yeah. How did they even allow that? This guy who's not related to her? No, I'm sorry. This guy no. who's not related to her walks in and then starts making fucking medical decisions on her behalf? Who allowed that? Two things. I think he implied very strongly that he was her husband so he got like rights of family that way neither one of them have a ring or anything proving that they're married any jabron can walk up the street and go yeah this is my wife and i in no way believe this story he told her while you were in a coma i did all of these things and And that's why your life so i think he talked to no doctors no nurses no anybody but how did he just stroll in and you're just able to just stroll in through the hospital and go into anyone's room and then just yeah that part I cannot explain. I think 
him offering medical advice, that's complete bullshit. And right. that's obviously oh, yeah. complete bullshit. Yeah. But he was still manipulating the nurses and the doctors and all of the hospital staff to keep her own parents away from her. I don't know what he said to like, they're bad for her or whatever the fuck. Who are you? Who are you, sir? Get out. In 2014, one year later, Claudia did the exact same thing. Come the fuck on. Swallowed an entire bottle of Tylenol. And her parents also had the same exact experience. No, dude. Claudia's, Tell me the same thing happened at the same hospital, and then he did the same thing, and no one... This is a different hospital now. She was up in White Plains. This hospital's in the city. Uh, Claudia's mother asked one of the nurses what Larry was doing there. Exactly. And she says the nurse replied, quote, this is not the first time we've seen him. But why is he here and why are you allowing it? According to family and friends, only Santos tried to take his own life before meeting Larry. Since then, Isabella, Yalitza, and Claudia have all attempted suicide. Larry later estimated their cumulative number of attempts at more than 12. They just kept trying it. They kept trying he broke them so profoundly ludicrous. that they kept trying with no prior history of right. suicidal ideation. What psychopathy exists I mean, where a some... man would literally live his life like this just trying to control and manipulate and destroy people? Yeah. What What is that? I... There's something broken deep, deep, deep inside. I don't even know where to start to guess. On the very basis level, isn't it just exhausting? Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to constantly, I mean, I'm sure the drugs also. Oh, yeah. But, like, it must be exhausting. Just just on a base level, how are you keeping this up? Uh, Daniel, Talia, and Isabella graduated in the spring of 2013. Santos never graduated. Claudia graduated a semester late in the winter of 2013. Larry attended her commencement ceremony. According to Claudia's mother, Green, the dean of students, approached her and Claudia's father and said, quote, Well, I'm glad I won't be seeing him anymore. What to- are you <laughs> fucking kidding me right now? Fucking- because how many times did we tell you that this guy was bad news and you didn't do a GD? F M F C S thing, you S O B. Are you joking? Yeah, too little, too late. There, I would have slapped him so hard in the face in front of the entire school. Uh, yeah. It's a little too little, too late. Are you kidding me? I would have tackled him. After graduating, Claudia bounced around. She started a certificate program at Columbia. Worked at a data analytics company, lived sometimes with her parents, sometimes with Larry. She wasn't living the most stable existence after graduation. Quote from Claudia's mom, You're talking to a young adult, not a six-year-old. If she made a decision to go to Larry's against our will, there was nothing other than physical intervention we could do to stop her. It was like she was literally hypnotized. You would have physically restrained your This is literally my worst fear. Yeah. In 2014, after her parents ended up divorcing, in large part due to the stress of dealing with Larry, he's ruining other people's marriages. Yeah. Claudia started working as an escort. 
Uh, let me guess who suggested that. Well, this, in a story full full of fucked up details, this one just makes my skin crawl. The name she used, which the article called a nom de guerre, right. which I thought was <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. But the name that she used was a combination of the names of Larry's daughters. Ew. Ugh. Ugh. Like, I don't Ew. know. There's something about, it's just. Like ugh. Talia something or something yeah. Talia. Ew. Her website advertised services for $8,000 a night. She Jesus would, Christ. She would give her profits to Larry in order to pay for the damage she believed she'd done in North Carolina. Isabella, Felicia, and Larry continued to live in the apartment on 93rd Street. So, the wives and Larry. Yeah. Santos. That's big love over on 93rd Street. Uh, yeah. Santos and Yulitsa came and went regularly. It was also 2014, though, that Larry Chen finally evicted Larry. Chen was finally starting to worry about what Larry was getting up to with the other people. He knew because he was taking part in it. Don't give me this crap. This is a bag of shit. Well, yeah. Finally starting to worry about what Larry was doing to the other people in his inner circle. But I guess the weird threesome they had was just fine. Yeah, I guess that's just, that was cool though. Thanks for that. And the unapproved renovations were a concern for Chen as well. Larry responded by countersuing Chen listing Felicia, Isabella, and Talia as co-plaintiffs. The case went to trial in early 2015, and Claudia, Isabella, and Yulitsa testified as witnesses. Now, this is completely... What did they co-sue him for? On what grounds? I, I don't know, but <laughs> it was enough. Whatever those grounds were, it was enough to force it to, to a trial. Right. Completely unrelated to anything having to do with Larry and his relationship with these people any of the stuff that he's done this is specifically about living situation yeah keep that in mind tenant situation keep that in mind as i tell you about this testimony oh god this has nothing to do with larry okay okay this is all about just who gets to live in the apartment okay one of the first questions that larry's attorney glenn ripa asked claudia was how long she'd known larry what that has to do with anything, anything i don't fucking know Here's her answer. The first time I heard his name mentioned. Don't tell me she's going to be like, I felt like I'd known him my entire life. I was probably nine years old. No. (laughs) No, you did not. No, you didn't. Over the course of her hour-long testimony. That's, That's extraneous at best. Claudia laid out an elaborate conspiracy. Tracing back through three generations of her family. And this judge didn't go, this witness is dismissed because she's obviously a little This judge, This judge, mediator, whatever the context of this was. I would have said, can we get to the point? This has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, lost total control of all of this. Three generations of her family are involved in Larry's (laughs) life somehow. She testified that as a child... She'd overheard her grandfather talking about Larry, quote, making trouble. Is she? Is uh, <laughs> Even then. First of all, <laughs> wait. Uh, that would make Larry a vampire. <laughs> that would mean that for three generations, this guy's been causing trouble at what? His current age of 50? <laughs> so what is going on here in this supernatural realm that you seem to reside in, madam? <laughs> 
Even then, she said, she knew Carrick and Giuliani were somehow involved. This How is, she knew who they even were when she was nine, I don't know. such malarkey. As Claudia neared college age, she testified, Larry's mother had contacted Claudia's mother and told her to send Claudia to Sarah Lawrence, quote, in order to hurt Larry and Talia. This is bullpucky. So somehow... <laughs> yeah, oh, the universe is somehow putting all these people together. Larry's mom. mom hates her son and granddaughter so much right? that she enlists strangers yeah. to send their daughter <laughs> to a random college <laughs> that she doesn't know that her granddaughter will be attending someday and that her son will have yeah. to live in after his release yeah. from prison. Well, Mike, they live in a... This is five-dimensional chess, man. Like, multiverse. This is this is some next-level Realm thinking, here, Michael. Yeah. Open your mind, Mike. This is really some the secret, like, manifesting your this intentions. This is that QFP, QF, yeah. whatever it's... Q for P. Q, Q for P. She even went so far as to say that after she got to college, her family started getting payments from Bernie Carrick. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. She said her marching orders from the top were to poison Larry using arsenic. From the top. Are you talking about the president of the United States? Well, how, how top are we going? Bernie Carrick, Rudy Giuliani. I mean, just keep the going. The CIA. Go up the ladder, Mike. Oh, yeah. All of them. This is what she was tasked to do. Poison Larry using arsenic, cyanide, mercury, silver, and lead. <laughs> In a second, in one and a half seconds, he would have been dead. Eventually, she was also told to target Talia, no, Isabella, none of this happened, and others from the group. Great. Why? If some stranger just contacts you and says, "We have a mission for you. Do you choose to accept?" Yeah. And you're like, "Sure. Right. I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll blow up my entire existence for you, someone I don't know." And target people that you don't know right right <laughs> what does rudy giuliani care about isabella he doesn't <laughs> like well is she underage nope not <laughs> at the time then, yeah then he would then but... maybe he would have taken her into a hotel room and tucked his shirt in yeah like. while laying flat on the uh, whatever <laughs> yalitza gave similar testimony and she didn't join the group until over a year into this so who like, is who is the presiding I, yeah. person Who's over this group that ha- is letting this go on. This in, is a farce. In my head, it's just a person kind of like us that's like, oh my, what the fuck is this shit? Can you believe what they're saying? Say more shit. This no, is wacky. I would have been like, this is a farce. You're wasting the court's time. You're all dismissed. Case dismissed. You owe him the money for the renovations. Yeah. Get the fuck out. Pay Chen and everybody GTFO. She claimed, Yalitza now, claimed her parents had once been drug dealers and money launderers who pimped Felicia out when she was a child. <laughs> These hardworking immigrants yeah. who owned multiple yeah. small businesses. Yeah, they felt the need to prostitute yeah. their beloved children. Right. Right. That sounds logical. Gave away $200,000 to protect their son from Larry. Right. Uh, yeah, they seem like the type that... Would would definitely do that. Those would traffic things. kids. Yeah, yeah. She claims 
to have mixed poison into Larry's coffee and, like Claudia, she detailed an exhaustive list of toxins she'd used, which were different from the ones Let that Claudia guess, used. Let me but he's so supernatural that none of them caused him any harm whatsoever. Well, they were different than what Claudia was using. She was tasked to use heroin, LSD, fungicide, and, quote, fecal matter to contaminate his bandages. Okay, but so he would be dead Correct. if any of this happened. She said her parents her parents promised to pay her a million dollars for her efforts. No, they no. What? This, these people what? are in a dream. Uh, these people are in a fugue state. Yeah. For real though this time. <laughs> like these people are walking around in a dream trance. They're in a jazz jazz trance. <laughs> All of Larry's minions who testified all described him as a guardian, incredibly loving, and a father figure. Incorrect. Claudia called him, quote, the nicest, most compassionate person I ever met. Also incorrect. Explaining that after years of poisoning him, she had started to care for him. (laughs) I'm gonna lose my mind. He was the nicest, most compassionate person, but I carried on poisoning him. Yeah, anyway, because, you know, because I'm a terrible person. She said her testimony was some measure of an apology. <laughs> like, <laughs> act of contrition. Hey, Larry, um, my dude, um, sorry I tried to poison you yeah. for years. I hope that this testimony will <laughs> Can make it up comfort to you. you. We're going to chalk this one up as a my bad. By way of an, a mea culpa apology. Yeah. I'm just going to say, sorry about that, bro. And uh, we're going to move on. Let's move on. Can we fist bump? <laughs> Is that too much? Okay. Despite the testimony veering off into this exceptionally weird territory for an eviction case, <laughs> Chen won and Larry uh, yeah, had to go. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If you told me it was like they just said neither one, everybody yeah. go part ways, I, would have, I was literally going to smash this table into a billion pieces. Larry had to go. But. It took nearly a full year to actually get them all out of the 93rd Street apartment. squatters. Yep. I happened to my cousin. It took him a year and a half to get these scumbags out of his house. It's weird it's legal weird loopholes. law loophole. Yeah. In late 2015, other things were happening in Larry's life that we will cover in the next episode. But it was also the time when he created a website to document more of Claudia's supposed confessions. So he was loving her testimony. So he's like, let's keep this shit going, oh man. God. We got to make a website for this. He's creating like a melodrama. One entry. So this was written in the first person perspective of Claudia. So when I say I, it's Claudia. Yeah. I would poison Talia at least once a day and make sure her entire fridge was poisoned. Put mercury on her toothbrush. No, she would be dead. Begin- I mean, she'd be... <sighs> Very, very sick at the very least. Yeah. Began sleeping over in her room more and more frequently to accomplish this goal. Also put arsenic and mercury in her undergarments. <laughs> okay. This is... I, I can't. I can't take it. I can't take this. We're almost there. I can't. I don't know how much more this I can take. <laughs> One tab on the website linked to a video. In which Claudia sits on her bed in dark green Sarah Lawrence sweatpants, looking dazed. And she says, quote, 
I never stopped poisoning Lawrence Ray, Talia Ray, as well as Felicia and Isabel. She says drowsily, facing the camera. No, no, no. She's... No. This is such orchestrated fucking... I don't even have a word to describe it. I, I literally could chew a nail in half right now. Are you making this by your own free will? Off screen, Larry says. No. <laughs> yes, Claudia responds yeah, immediately. Right. Yeah, right. And you want to make this because of what? Larry asks her. Because I just want to tell the truth, because she responds. Because of my conscience, Dr. Larry. I just want to tell the truth. Yeah, okay, honey. Get a fucking grip. And this is where the investigation into Larry Ray finally starts. And we will dive deep into his background, the investigation, and his trial on the next episode. But for now, that was the story of the sex cult scandal at Sarah Lawrence College. I'm madder than like a rat in a trap right now, okay? I'm pissed off. My skin has crawled. My skin's on the other side of the room because it's crawled right off my body and I'm I I I literally my mouth tastes like I like pennies like I could just spit you know it's incredible yeah I had kind of initially the same level of familiarity with it as you did uh I just heard of it yeah but it was I heard like the general basis yeah, of what but happened but Nexium was at around the same yeah, yeah, time yeah 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 that's right so many other things going on yes. that this one kind of got lost in the shuffle yes and looking into it once I saw the headline that kind of brought it back into into my line of vision here and I, I went back and actually read the article that kicked it all off and started looking more into him I flabbergasted yes I, I don't that's the only word for it yeah it's incredulous this story yeah i if do you not had know. to and this write, is only half of the if story if you had to write a story if i said michael i will give you one million dollars hot wet stinky american cash tax free yeah. if you can write a fiction yeah that's gonna blow my mind yeah you would not even no. be able to come up with no this, this is nonsense nuts Insane, but this is why though. Yeah, we're obsessed with documentaries yes. <laughs> because real life is crazier yeah. than anything you could come up with in your sick little imagination. As case in point, it evidenced by the, this case, the uh, recommends that we did earlier uh, in yes. the last week for the show interrogation on Paramount Plus. Yes, so that being insane. a true story. And all of those things being part of it, like, that's it's it's It's, it's like one of those things that you're like, there's no way yeah. that all of these coincidences or weird little things could have happened within one case scenario. Right. And it, you're, you're looking at it and you're thinking, yeah, of course, this kid's definitely guilty. I mean, yeah. this is crazy. This yeah. story's crazy. This is crazy. And then as you get into it, the whole thing is insane. After the first episode, I was convinced that there was no possible way that he couldn't have been the one to do it because any other explanation would have required so many coincidences right. to line up. And we were bickering about it because yeah. I was like, I don't think so. I don't think he's guilty. And I was like, there's no way. Yeah. Like the cop story just made too much sense. Yeah. 
in that first episode but then the more episodes you bounce around and and watch episode eight and then episode three and then episode nine well yeah because the cool thing about this series is there's eight is there eight episodes ten so you have to watch the first one first and you have to watch the last one last but the cool thing about it which i think is really innovative and i i hope and i think that more of these will start to show up now yeah is that a little pop-up comes up after the first episode and tells you that when detectives are investigating crime, it's not always linear. Yeah. So you're just going where the leads follow you. So you may bop over here and talk to this guy and then talk to three other people, but then come back to the first guy and you're all over the place. So it allows you to either watch the episodes in a linear fashion or to jump around to sort of, quote, follow the evidence, yeah. how you're understanding it. Yeah. So that's a really cool aspect of how we watched it. And I I guess I like spaced out. I didn't realize that that was the whole sort of shtick of like this series. So when it came up, I was like, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Am I like drunk or something? Like, did that just say what I thought it said? But it was really cool and interesting to do it that way. Yeah. And it, you can do it chronologically. You can do it because each episode is titled based on kind of the main person whose evidence is being followed up on in that episode in and the, the time year. period that yeah. it takes place in it's it's just really an interesting experiment that we both think was very successful i thought it was great yeah so uh, definitely it can still it's possible to innovate true crime television still still which is cool because yeah you know and we're uh, obsessed obviously yeah <laughs> and some good performances down the line too yeah uh, great performances kyle gallner yeah. Is amazing. Who I will never be able to not see as Beaver from uh, Veronica Mars. But <laughs> he he's, me... he's definitely uh, grown up since his time on, uh, on Veronica Mars. I never Mars. watched Veronica Mars, but he definitely gives me like Jonathan Tucker vibes. And I'm I'm all the way in. I'm here for that. Not so. back then. No, like now yeah, in this now, performance yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, and he has, he has a lot to do between the time periods and all of that oh yeah he carried it off like yeah really well yeah so you know you got the recommendation from us on uh on the socials but here it is again check it out check it out definitely check it out and shout out to carol that i work with because she's the one that told me to watch it yes thank you carol Carol. (laughs) so for now you get to ruminate on everything larry ray did next week we will come back and ruminate on who larry ray is it's a lot this it's, is a lot. It's a lot. There is one point, uh, the paragraph that I said there were other things happening in, in Larry's life in 2015. Right. There's a moment at that point in the story where I'm at least going to get a, okay, yes. Okay. From you. Okay. Um, it does <laughs> Let's take- only just hope. Yeah. It does take until 2015 to get there. Yeah. And we have a lot of ground to cover before it happens, but I think there will be at least one moment where we'll be like, ah, all right. Okay. Um, well, that makes me at least slightly hopeful. Yeah. But until next week, thank you for sticking through this supersized episode. Don't forget to follow us on our socials. Yes. MAF, MAF. Podcast Show. Or email us. At mafpodcastshow at gmail.com. And follow our YouTube channel. Yes, please. It's also M- Murder Monks Friends Mur- Podcast. Murder Monks Friends. Yeah. Yes. Well, Thank you, Michael. Yes. I spelled that one out. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Thanks. Yes. So until next time, 
Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, and don't start a cult because it's we won't join. Really creepy, and we don't want to hear about it. Goodbye. Bye.